Welcome back to Silver Screen Social listeners. I'm your host, Jackson Vickery, and on this episode, I spoke to sound designer, supervising sound editor, and re-recording mixer Steve Fanagan about his work on how to have sex. noticed it before, but you're proper beautiful. <laughs> you two are two of my best mates. Gang, gang, gang. No one cares if you're a virgin. It's very chill. So why are you bringing it up then? Hi, we're going to play a game. Do us a favour and wake Tara up. And shit yours. <sighs> My mum's life, I'm not joking. I just look proper, yeah? How's it going? Great. How about you? Good. Thank you. Uh, thanks for uh, the invitation. No, thank you. I am, I am completely so honored to be chatting with you. I, um, I saw How to Have Sex at Sundance, and I simply cannot stop thinking about it. Like it is something that has completely just like, it's one of those films that just has I don't know it it I know it's going to be imprinted in my brain for months to come and I was talking to a friend last night about it at dinner and I was just like I don't know what it I I couldn't describe like what the sort of feeling that it gave me but I I just I was immediately transported back to this trip that I took to Panama City Beach when I was like 20 and it was a total just like dive of a trip and I learned so much about myself and just learned so much about culture and society and I seeing that on screen I was just I it was like getting hit like right over the head with every single emotion feeling um memory it was just and that just doesn't happen very often and so when I saw it and then I think Johnny Byrne commented on something of yours and so I was just like holy smokes I I'm connecting with this person on LinkedIn I'm sending a chat right now I have to talk about this film Oh, cool. Well, that's lovely. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I was sort of the same, to be honest, when I sort of first um, had contact on the film, I read the script and saw the, the director's deck 
and found myself sort of transported to a time and place um, and, and just very viscerally affected by the content. And I think just the sort of naturalism and honesty and compassion and empathy that Molly as a writer and director had figured out with this subject matter. And it felt like something that I hadn't seen before. Um, I found it, you know, it was a very emotional first read mm. um, for me. And um, they were filming at the time. Uh, I spoke to Molly a few days later while they were still filming along with um, uh, Ivana and Emily, the producers. And uh, we talked through Molly's ideas for sound and I talked through some thoughts that I had on it. And, you know, it, I don't know. I think there was something so strong from the page, something so strong from... The director's deck, uh, the director's deck had photos of Molly's own holidays uh, um, and sort of some of the, you know, the inspiration for this obviously was some of her experiences on those holidays. And so to just feel something that was so honest um, and seemed to, you know, I've, I, I, like I haven't gone, I didn't go on one of those holidays as a 16 year old. Um, I'm also not a 16 year old girl and I've never been, but somehow um the experience of it felt while specific and um and sort of uh, incredibly personal somehow felt universal and for me so so it's amazing to hear you say that as well because i i, I feel like i had a very similar reaction to the material um and just uh yeah you know you just kind of it's in, it's incredible when something any piece of art resonates with you like that um you know, it's kind of why I buy tickets to go to see movies and it's why I read books and it's why I listen to music and, and everything else. You know, you, you want to feel that connection with someone that can be anywhere on the planet, but they present something back to you about yourself that gives you a way to think about it and gives you a way to understand it and gives you a way to sort of, I suppose, feel connected as well, right? Mm, absolutely. And I'm curious how you use sound as, I mean, I can sort of take my own guesses as to how you use sound as a connecting piece, but I, I'm curious how, I mean, it is so integral in this um, piece. And I'm just so curious what those sort of early conversations were like in terms of, in terms of putting sound at the forefront, whether it was intentional, unintentional, um i and I'll, I'll let you just go from there i'm just i'm so curious what those initial conversations were like in regards to what the sound was going to be in regards to the connection piece of everything yeah i mean i, I suppose what you're like like molly obviously having had those personal experiences of these holidays had a very clear sense of what the world sounds like and so uh we had some you know, very clear markers and very clear things that we needed for the film. Like, like there's the, you know, on a basic level, they're right by the sea. So there's that presence. There's a, you know, there's these quad bikes that people rent and drive recklessly all over the place. And so that has a certain, it's not only a, an interesting sound, but there's a sort of an interesting, maybe testosterone and an interesting sort of wildness to it as well that suggests kind of the, it's not that it's lawless, but it, there's something about these places where I suppose some of the behavior uh, would not be what people would do when they're at home. They go to these places to escape and, and be someone else maybe and or maybe behave a bit more recklessly. So 
that that felt like an interesting sound she she had done so much amazing research as well where the first time we spotted together uh, in the cutting room with her editor finn we molly had all these um like tiktok videos that were of of people on these holidays like their little diaries or their little um and, and so there was lots of sound information on those like you could hear the insects and how intense they were at particular times of the day or you could you know you got this sense someone stands out on their balcony and you could hear people on other balconies all around them. There's just music and shouting and revelry and, you know, people having a good time, people having a bad time, you know, all of that kind of chaos and that, um, just that kind of visceral energy. And so we just, we, we sort of knew that we had those ingredients. So things like, you know, the, the sound of revelry, the, the sound of people partying by the pool or people partying in their apartments or on their balconies or on the strip nearby, the sound of music coming from all different directions at all times, you know, it might be someone with a Bluetooth speaker on another balcony, or it might be someone with a stereo in the, in the apartment next door or a club that's happening somewhere down the street. So the, the, there was all of this kind of environmental information that felt like, okay, it, it does a couple of things is one, it presents the place. So it's this lively, energetic place, but, but it also, I suppose in some ways can represent the subjectivity and the emotion and the feeling of a character, depending on where they're at. So at the start of the holiday, that's, that's joy and that's revelry and it's fun and it's exciting. And, you know, Tara, uh, M and Sky land in this place. They haven't been there before. You know, they're 16. This is their first time, but there's people who are there the same age as them and older. And it's, so it's like a kind of a, you know, it's, it's that exciting doorway into an adult world. And so, you know, it, it, in that sort of situation, my experience, like I, I remember really vividly the first time I went to New York and sort of, you know, you, you get off the bus from the airport and you step out into the street and it just, for me coming from Dublin, it sounds totally different. Uh, it didn't sound like anywhere I'd ever been before. And, and everything feels, you know, there's an edge and there's a, you know, there's things that you're used to seeing maybe in photos or in movies and all of that stuff is exciting. And uh, like, it, it felt like Soundwise, that's where this film had to start with all of that stuff being exciting and dangerous in a, you know, in that kind of, we're gonna have these new experiences. This is gonna be the best holiday ever. And I suppose as the story progresses, um, sound then can become something that's threatening or it can become something that's oppressive or it can be, become something that, um, that, that sort of represents the inner world of that character. So if the bass and the music gets heavier or the, you know, the sound of the insects starts to get faster or the shouting goes from being people having fun to people fighting off screen, you know, it, it, it presents a certain mood and a certain ambience, I think, for the audience that sort of helps to put them into that character's head. So I think, you know, we, we, we worked very carefully and, and talked a lot about trying to figure out how to track Tara through the film in the same way that they had with the performance and the writing and the editing and everything else that they're doing. And, um, and, and, and tried to just, you know, use sound as a way to subconsciously help the audience understand that and help them hopefully I think it with a film like this you're hoping that they experience it to some extent as well because you want like the photography is intimate it's portrait you're right with the characters right so you want the sound to 
um, to to help to allow the audience hear what they're hearing uh, mm. and how they're hearing it. You know, so if you're having a good time, the music in a club is exciting and fun. If you're having a bad time, it can become cacophonic and harsh and oppressive and disorientating. And I think, you know, we were trying to figure out a way to dynamically use that through the process. Mm. Yeah, no, I think of those, I mean, the, the scenes at the club in particular, especially when um, Tara has had too much to drink and everything kind of just goes mute on the outside. And it's kind of like you have that, um, I don't know the right term to use, but it's almost like a, a brain fog where it's everything is so internal and the only thing you're hearing is your thoughts. And um and the outside world is muffled and just you you don't know what's going on anymore and i'm curious when it came to those and what i love so much is you really do get the external tara and the internal tara throughout the entire film and it always is sort of flipping and changing regardless of how she's feeling and i i'm just curious with working um with a character like hers who I find just so fascinating. Like I, I think the part that makes the film work so much for me is I was so curious, where does she go after this? And what was her life like prior to this? Because you get inklings of like, oh, she's it doesn't seem like she's a very good student at all. She's going to have a terrible year next year with all of her other friends going off and going to school and furthering their life. And now she's in this place and finding out in this place that she's kind of a failure and it you're having to internalize that amongst the other things that are happening on this, whether you're, you had a terrible night and you're throwing up all over the place or you're having an amazing night. And so I'm just curious playing with the, the mind of, um, Tara because I just she's she's so and for her to be so young and for this to be like her first real main thing is just so incredible yeah like it, it, it I, I mean again I think so much of that's in the writing and the direction right and and, and then that framing you know the way they chose to shoot in those close-ups um and obviously if Mia's performance wasn't as strong as it is her being that exposed in those close-ups just wouldn't work, right? So all of that that sort of energy and that 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 greatness is there in what we're looking at in sound and we're trying to respond to. And yeah, so for me, like, I mean, think about how complex what you've just said is. Like, you know, Molly's written this character and Mia's performed this character that you're, you as a viewer are then thinking about her past and trying to figure out that any any little nugget of information you can you're chasing and you're thinking about and then you're thinking about well what happens to her after this and i think what's what's really wonderful to me about the, what molly's done is she's written this character who's complicated and who's layered and isn't you know it's not she's not one note so even after the assault happens to her and and, and or the assaults happen to her she she still continues to be a character that has ups and downs. She doesn't 
sort of flatline as a victim. She she's processing this information and she's figuring out how she feels about it. And she's also still trying to hang out with her friends and meet new people and party. And and she has moments where she's confident and she has moments where her confidence is knocked. And I think there's something really um, honest about that and really truthful. And so from our point of view with the sound, we're, we're just really trying hard to respect that and and figure out a way to use sound to underscore that and reinforce it and to um to to have a dynamic across the film where we're using sound you know in a in a literal sense at times we're using it in a very subjective sense at times because the complexity of the performance allows us to do that you know that you're often for me like i'm i'm looking at a film and i'm trying to figure out uh, from a performance, how to get in and out of of a subjective moment, and it just wasn't a challenge on this film because the performance is so good, and so it's not even about the delivery of dialogue a lot of the time. A lot of the time, it's about a look, you know. So someone says something, like you, you. I think we all know this as people. Like we can be having a conversation with someone, and they're saying one thing, but the look on their face where the tone of their voice tells us that they mean something else. And I think this this performance has that sort of complexity to it. And as a result, um, we get to at times go very subjective in a way that wouldn't suit other performances because they wouldn't have been written that way and they wouldn't have been shot that way. So, you you know, you're, you're constantly trying to, to um, read the material to play off of it and to figure out what it's asking you to do and you you can't like you can you can have this grandiose idea to do something very subjective with sound um but it 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 will only work if the picture accepts it and the performance accepts it and so once you put it against picture you you kind of and you start to review and you start to think about it you maybe show it to your director you've conversations about it you get a sense of whether the picture can take it or not whether the performance can take it or not and and in this case it just really could um and i think you know that again like that from from our point of view with sound was just a joy to work with um and you know kind of like for a, i i just think it's kind of miraculous that molly as a first time director and writer was able to navigate that so expertly um and then you know Mia's performance is just incredible um there's not a frame of the film that she's not incredible in and she's almost in every moment you know other yeah. than the, the period of time where she goes missing for a while and so and even when she's not in a scene we're always thinking about her in relation to that scene and that's kind of that the pressure of that I, I can't even imagine it's sort of um it's an incredible feat mm. and one scene in particular that I, I'd love to just pick your brain on and what just understand um the decision it's when Tara is sort of coming out of her missing stage and she's walking down um this long wide street bars restaurants across it's completely quiet and you hear like glimmers of sound glimmers of of a town waking up but i'm just curious because i mean you are you're investing so much into this character as she sort of 
makes her walk down back into the reality of her situation because I I think for herself she had the time of her life the night prior but now she's coming back to friends that maybe she doesn't want to be around anymore so I'm curious because that is just such a one of many pivotal moments in this film that I'm just curious in that sort of conscious decision which might be in the directing might be in the writing but I'm just curious in terms of the soundscape that you're trying to create in that particular moment um just fascinated me yeah like I mean uh, it, there's a couple of things that are going on there that are that I that I find really interesting uh, you know as a as a first-time viewer so there's not a lot of wide shots in the film and that's one of them and and it's a wide that also has a zoom on it so we've spent the previous few scenes wondering where Tara is and what's happened to her and uh, with her friends and and then we you know we we're back on the strip where we've been a bunch of times before but never in daytime and so you know from a sound point of view we were imagining this this point of you know it's almost like it, it's it's sort of opposite land you know where in a, in a usual street at that time of the day it's where businesses would be up and running and things would be happening whereas on the strip it's 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 that quiet time and uh, no one comes out till night so none of these places sort of kick alive until nighttime so you know we we were you know we wanted to present it as somewhere that was kind of bare and so it's one of the quieter moments in the film um but psychologically Tyra is processing an awful lot and it's not comfortable so to have you know to use environmental sounds so it is one of the places where we can hear the, the ocean we can hear insects the insects are constantly ratcheting up to hopefully help with our anxiety and uh, and the intensity of it but but we were able to use some small details like like some rubbish blowing around on the street around her and you know there's a, a little bit of wind chimes that are happening which we just imagined were either you know, in the in the outside seating area of a restaurant or maybe on the side of a stall or something. But I suppose the idea that this place that's usually cacophonic with music and shouting and roaring and quad bikes and whatever else happening all of the time, suddenly at this time of day, it's 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 silent enough that you can hear these tiny details. Um, and as we pull into her, then we begin to hear the foley of her footsteps and we begin to hear the movement of her cloth and she we you know we recorded some additional breath for that sequence so that as we get really close to her we could hear that kind of intimate detail from her and i suppose again you're trying to position the audience right there with her mm. i think when we when we hear another human being's breath we know we're very close to them um so it's a it can be a nice sort of um tool to be able to use in a situation like that um and i think you know, again, it's so much of it's about Mia's performance and the upset on her face and sort of trying to play off that. Um, and it, it was one of those sequences early on where Molly wanted it to feel bare. And so, you know, you could put a big piece of score there and it could tell the audience exactly what she's feeling. But by taking that minimal approach, it felt like we were able to to do something that I suppose in a film that in places is quite big and bombastic sound wise for it to suddenly be quiet, for it to suddenly be about small details, sort of um, 
not that it's shocking, but it's a different sensory experience for the for the viewer. And so you feel something as a result of that contrast. Mm. And I'm curious also what it was like to, I mean, you mentioned score just very briefly in terms of the absence of score in that moment, but throughout the rest of this film, there is a very abrasive, but one, I mean, I downloaded the, I think it came out last week in the US and I was just, I downloaded it immediately because I I know she was telling me that her friend was a DJ in the past that then was able to sort of recreate the sounds of what would be popular in this uh in this time frame and the music that you would hear in an Ibiza or I mean at any club in London or New York or Los Angeles wherever it would be so I'm just curious what it was like working with that because I mean looking at your past filmography I can't <laughs> seem to place another uh another time where that that where that kind of score took place yeah like i mean so james jacob was the composer um and he is a very accomplished successful dj and music producer with lots of great credits um and and he and molly have a history um they've worked together in the past but they know each other from i think maybe 10 years ago or more so have spent time with each other and um and collaborated before so that was a it was a, like it was a, a really lovely, um, lovely film to get to collaborate with him on. It's his first ever film score, which I think is kind of, again, hard to believe, given how great the score is and how sort of just how uh, sensitive and fitting it is. And so there were kind of two components to what James did. There's the score, um, which, you know, is all about sort of um, initially kind of giving us the sense of where the group are at and giving the sense of wonder and awe when they arrive in Malia. Um, and then obviously, as the story unfolds, it begins to more and more track Tara's experience. Um, and I think there was always this, um, this, this idea with it where the base would get bigger as, as things got more claustrophobic. But there's, there's even when the score is delicate and beautiful there's kind of a clubbing element to it where you've got some really lovely kind of low end and you've got really interesting rhythmical things happening and i think you know that there's kind of a the moment where i think that that's best illustrated is probably um toward the end of the film badger takes tyra home she thought they have this this very sort of intimate chat on the balcony and she falls asleep and he puts her to bed and there's this quite beautiful piece of music um but as we're coming out of that scene we cut to the beach where the rest of the gang are sort of jumping in the sea and that beautiful piece of music turns into a club track you know it turns into or has club elements to it and so there's something lovely i think about the contrast that they worked with the score the way that they they they, they thought that out and then the the other thing that james did for us which felt really unique to this film was he he wrote a lot of he, he wrote tracks like club tracks pop tracks um, different, just different pieces of music. There was probably a folder of about 20 bangers, we call them, um, which we could basically use anywhere in the film. And so, so obviously there are needle drops in the film. There's clear pop songs that are in there, but there's also 
you know, all sorts of music that's happening off screen almost at all times. And sometimes there's two or three tracks happening at the same time. And the majority of that music was these bangers from James. So we could go into that folder, we could listen through things, audition bits and pieces and figure out, okay, that track could be coming from a Bluetooth speaker on that balcony. And that track could be coming from the club that's down the road. And that track could be coming from the pool. So let's spatialize them and mix them accordingly and place them in the scene. Um, and just use them as this ambient element to that place, that time, that clubbing culture. Um, so from that point of view, like he, there's not only did he have the task of sort of writing this beautiful, sensitive, subjective score for the film, but he also wrote this music that we could use wherever we wanted and um, could help to create that sort of like what we talked about earlier, that initial euphoria of getting to this place and the chaos of it, and then that later sort of oppressive claustrophobia um, um, of it as well. So, you know, to have that ability to kind of pick and choose these tracks with different beats and rhythms and different melodies and for, because of his producing chops, they all just sounded great. They didn't sound like library music. They didn't sound like, you know, stuff that was fake. It sounded like the real thing. And um, it was, you know, just an absolutely invaluable resource for us through through the process. And and I think it creates a, it plays a big part in the ambience of the, of the film. Mm. And I mean, just in our final few minutes, I, I'm curious, and I mean, this film debuted almost, almost a year, oh, yearish ago, nine months ago at Cannes, and it's had its rollout to different festivals and to Sundance, and now it's out in the states, and well, not all over the states, but in different parts of the states. And so, I'm curious what you take away from this particular project that, um, that you haven't from different past projects and what do you hope that audiences take away from this particular project because I think there's a lot to say um outside of the I mean the very obvious um uh I mean consent sexual assault I mean all I, I mean I just think there's so much that's going on in this and I, I'm curious what you um hope is maybe maybe something lesser chatted about in terms of uh, the takeaways that um, journalists or viewers are taking away. Yeah, well, like, I mean, first of all, yeah, it, it it's just been incredible to see it go out into the world and for it to be received the way it's been. I think from that first read and my first conversations with Molly to seeing first cuts and working on the film with her, I definitely felt like it was something special and something I hadn't seen before. And I, you know, you, it, it really felt like something that was going to, you know, resonate with audiences and, and appeal to audiences and, and have a life. Um, you can never really predict what that life will be for a film. And I think obviously she's gone out and represented the film really well and movie have figured out a way to put it out into the world where, I think, the, you know, they've managed to talk 
about the film in a in the positive light it should be talked about in and um, and that's been just incredible to see and for it to get into Cannes and then for it to win in certain regard it can and and to just go on and on and on and on like to to think that you were talking now because you saw it at Sundance whatever eight or nine months after its initial premiere is kind of mind-blowing to me and it's um testament to this great piece of work that Molly has made and I, th I think you know from my own point of view like working on the film was like I think you know no two projects you work on are ever the same that's that's part of the privilege of doing this work um no two directors are ever the same so your approach changes and evolves and you learn things technically and creatively but you also learn things personally uh, as you work on 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 everyone's work and with this I just I was so taken by the subject matter and so moved by it and like you know upset by it and troubled by it and and so you can't help but sort of have an emotional connection to it and you can't help but think about things and hopefully uh, learn something about yourself and grow yourself I think one of the lesser talked about things on, uh, in our work is that you you bring a lot of yourself to a project uh, as do, do all of the people working on the film and so you connect with a director who's invested an awful lot of themselves in their project and their producers the same and the rest of the sound team the same and everyone else who's worked on it and so the privilege of sort of getting to bring your own experience of life to something like this is huge. Um, and I think just seeing the conversations that the film has started and some of the stuff Molly and her press has talked about, like things people have said to her, things people have messaged her about, like there's a story she told. So I'm, 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 you know, I'm not speaking out of turn. She's told us in interviews, but there was a screening that they had somewhere and someone you know there was a an older gentleman outside the screening really upset and it, when molly showed up to do a q a and it turned out that you know he had had this experience watching the film where he realized he had been a paddy in the past and that like it's just kind of mind-blowing to think that i think it's a film that starts a conversation in a very non-judgmental way um it looks at things that are um it looks at things that have often been portrayed as black and white and and sort of uh, in a black and white moralistic way that maybe shuts the conversation down. And so I think what this film does is it sort of says, we need to talk about this and we need to, you know, Molly, Molly has said in interviews, we've learned how to have sex wrong and, and we need to talk about it. We need to think about it. We we need to have a conversation. This is not a, this is not a yes or a no. Uh, this is a, you know, this is, you know, intimate relationships between people should be ongoing conversations. People should be checking in with each other. Um, empathy is a hugely important thing to how we all live our lives <laughs> and how we interact with one another. And I think that's the biggie for me, you know, it's like the, the idea that, um, the idea of just, sort of asking someone if they're okay and if they're comfortable and like it feels like that should be a baseline for any interaction we have with another human being let alone in a in a sexual relationship with someone and I, I think the way that the film frames that and the conversations that people are having around that are it's really powerful you know the the 
there is a, a group in the UK who are now taking it into schools mm. to use it as part of uh, sex education. And I think uh, a wider conversation that we all should be having is how we're learning about these things, how we're talking about them and how we're, I, I suppose, how we're treating each other at any given moment becomes very important. Um, you know, uh, and, and I, yeah, I, I, I can't think of something that, is a more valuable um, thing for us all to be talking about at this moment in time than um, understanding and empathy. And I think we live in a in a world that's become very argumentative and very, you don't agree with me, I'm shutting you down. Whereas actually, it's great to disagree with people and then have a conversation about why you disagree because they may change your mind, you may change their mind, or you both might arrive at somewhere just somewhere different and and that's kind of what um the value of human relationships are right we we talk to each other we don't agree on everything but at times we can completely inspire and influence each other to to new ideas and um any piece of art that manages to do that is just hugely valuable so i think i i hope that those are the conversations that people are having on the way out the door after watching this film in a coffee shop afterwards like you said you know maybe a few days later maybe a few weeks later like catching up with friends and going oh have you seen this film well what you know and then getting into a conversation about about that sort of um you know just about consent and empathy that's a massive thing mm. yeah no and i i even just the are you okay instance i mean throughout the film is so interesting because I feel I I studied abroad in um, Leicester um, eight years ago, maybe seven years ago. And the culture there in terms of the way people really do ask, are you okay? Constantly is, I think, very beautiful and very refreshing, which I think something that people in the States could probably take a little bit more, um, uh, take more of a lead on. I just think it, and I just, I, I found it so interesting. I mean, even just from the very beginning, just the constant check-ins with how everyone was feeling at any particular moment was so beautiful. And I, at least in my experience in the US, I can not speak to everyone, but I definitely feel there is something um, that's so somewhat foreign about that over over here which was so refreshing to rewatch and to sort of relive in that particular element um just from studying abroad and seeing um i don't know seeing that culture sort of come back through so um i that was a very interesting sort of note that you made on that so um so yeah um but Steve, I know we're almost at time. Well, we're over time. Um, but I want to thank you so much for, for well, chatting. Likewise. likewise, thanks so much for having me. It's, uh, it, you know, it's lovely to get to talk about these things and sort of, I suppose for me to even just to get to reflect on the film nearly a year on, this time last year we were working on it, you know, um, um, sort of with our heads down, heading toward Cannes. And so our hoping, I, I'm not even sure, we we wouldn't have known we were going to Cannes, but we would have been hoping. And so just to reflect on the journey it's been on and 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 how much 
I enjoyed the collaboration with Molly and, and, and everyone involved. You know, I worked with a sound team that I haven't worked with before. Um, we mixed this film in Belgium. It was just a, it was a, just a really wonderful life experience and something I feel uh, very privileged to have been a part of. So I hope that's, um, that sort of comes across in the work and that it comes across in the conversation. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's been a gift to see it go out into the world and do so well and be so well received. So I feel so lucky to be a tiny part of it. Mm. And what is next for you, if I can ask? I've actually, I can't talk about what I'm working on right now, but I just, I just finished a, I finished a film with um, someone who I've worked with a good bit, an Irish director called Tygo Sullivan, who has made a film called The Swallow, which is about to play at the Dublin International Film Festival next month, um, which is a kind of a, a beautiful meditative film that stars Brenda Fricker. Um, hard to describe, but Tyg's work is very, um, he has a very uh, particular type of filmmaking that he's interested in. And they're always sort of essay pieces and very reflective and very cerebral. And um, he just makes beautiful work. And so it's it's been lovely to get to work with him again. And uh, I'm excited to see how that's received now. Um, and yeah, just feel it again, feel lucky to get to work with someone, uh, you know, over the course of a number of projects it's uh, kind of the ultimate compliment that i can get that someone comes back and and uh, and wants to work with me again 